Hello, welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home for community and culture in teaching. I'm Matthew Bliss, and I'm very glad to have you back again for this week, our chat with Scott, who is a media teacher who's been teaching for a couple of decades now. He teaches in a Victorian secondary school, and uh, he is very technologically proficient. He's got a very, uh, maybe not unique, but incredibly effective way to approach teaching insofar as he can not only engage his classes quite well, but he's also managed to do it over the remote learning and remote teaching period. So that's where we're going to start the episode this week. It's a bit of a longer one. And the first portion where we talk about his schools and his approach to remote learning goes for a little bit longer than expected. So hang around for as long as you can there. We'll be hearing from his experience mentoring a pre-service teacher during the remote learning period as well. In fact, being from a school in Victoria, it was during one of the snap lockdowns where they had two weeks of face-to-face time with the kids before they started doing their remote teaching. Also, being a media teacher, he's strong in technology, and it's a subject that doesn't get talked about too often. It's quite niche, and it's uh, really interesting to hear his experience in how it's taught. And in the case that you're a media teacher listening as well, you might be able to learn a few tidbits and uh, some extra tips to approach your lessons differently. So I really hope you enjoy the episode this week. We'd really love to hear your feedback. So get in touch with us at teachingculturecast at gmail.com. Seek us out on the socials, Instagram at teachingculturecast, on Twitter at teachcultcast. Just search for teachingculturecast and you'll find us anywhere you like. Really love to hear your feedback on the show because we are looking to improve. We're still proceeding with season one and there's going to be more great episodes to come. So just sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast. I'm Matthew Bliss, your host, and this time I'm joined by Scott, who's been working in the teaching industry for about 20 years, and uh, his main subject is media, though I'm sure he's got a few secret gems of subjects that he's taught in the past. Um, Welcome, Scott. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me, Matt. We did have a little bit of a chat before the podcast started about uh, the current reaction to teaching and remote learning during the pandemic. How has that been for you so far? It's been an interesting time to sort of rethink how you actually undertake various tasks. Um, I, I think initially it was a little bit like when technology sort of first became part of um, classroom situations and it was the idea of substitution. Um, you know, you would actually just bring in and you'd still be teaching exactly the same way and, and doing exactly the same tasks. And then you would suddenly say, oh yeah, by the way, let's use a computer, you know, whether it was for word processing or something like that. Mm. So it was a very, very similar thing. Um, You know, teachers were very, very quick to jump online. Um, And initially there was a little bit of, in some cases, reluctance and hesitancy. And so, you know, what was happening was um, some of the delivery of content was just through email or through an LMS, as opposed to actually being on something like a live meet. So it was really the teachers in your school kind of selecting how they prefer to run their lessons and communicate? It was, particularly to begin with, because, you know, there was, um, uh, you know, I think it was sort of like on a Thursday, then we had the Friday to sort of get ourselves organized. Um, and then, of course, we were sort of going live on the Monday. Um, and so there was various different ways of actually sort of firstly um, the role became very, very important, attendance. 
and being able to track to make sure that students were engaged. And then, of course, then at the school I'm currently at, we use a lot of uh, Google um, products and therefore Google Meets became sort of the, the, the center of the way that you were delivering content. Um, at the same time, there was a concern about, you know, whether students had access, um, firstly to technology and then also um, to their web-based. So, you know, it was like multiple different ways. So we were uploading content to an LMS. Um, there was also the email system. And then, of course, then we went into Google Meets. Um, and I think subsequently with each lockdown, um, each teacher's kind of found their own way and found what works best for them and also for their students. Okay. So it's pretty relaxed still. There's no overarching policy with regards to remote learning yet. No, nothing's been mandated as in you must do this. Um, It it became, you know, again, as, as each lockdown progressed, it became a lot more apparent that everyone had gravitated towards Google Meets. Um, and that enabled a little bit of face-to-face connection. At this stage, you know, what's required is some sort of explicit instruction at the beginning of a lesson and then enabling students to sort of go off um, and do their own work. There's different ways of actually, you know, bringing them back into the, class, uh, the Google Meet towards the end of the lesson with some teachers. I, I teach a lot of senior students, so I spend a lot of time working one-on-one. So we have like little schedules and then of course, even Google meets, you know, started to bring out breakout rooms. And so again, it was probably between, you know, lockout two, lockout three, that, you know, teachers started to actually undertake that. And then of course we did have, um, a period of time where we were back on site doing face-to-face teaching with year 11s and 12s. And yet we were then still doing remote teaching um, with sevens to 10. And I think that's probably when more people became a little bit more um, confident in using the uh, Google Meets because they also had a whiteboard often behind them. They were stationary in their own space. Initially, when we were in lockdown and it was like, oh, hang on, I'm inviting students into my home. This goes against everything I've ever been ta- taught in regards to, you know, child safety and, 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 you know, things like that in regards to the relationship that you have with um, students. So, yeah, it's been, look, it's been an ongoing um, journey and it's something that I think most teachers are feel, feeling quite confident with at the moment. That's brilliant. It's great to hear as well because um, while I'm not in teaching myself, there are a lot of buzzwords being thrown around in the technology space with regards to remote work, like hybrid, hybrid learning, hybrid working fully remote or fully physical. And it sounds like just organically a lot of the concepts of hybrid work have started emerging with the teachers at the school, like the ability to use a whiteboard in a physical space whilst conducting the Google Meet at the same time with the technology available. That sounds like you had at least enough technology available to make that a possibility. Yeah, look, I think each teacher has a very unique home environment and then therefore also then becomes now their work environment. Mm. I, I have a young daughter, so I'm trying to homeschool simultaneously as well as teach. So, you know, there, there's moments yeah. it's where it's like, you know, hang on, I'm supposed to be doing this and it's now I need to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, there is to a certain degree uh, a, a number of teachers uptaking of, you know, doing that flipped classroom, thinking a little bit about pre-preparing and, you know, in, in some cases pre-recording and being able to use, you know, screencasting and things like that, which is which has improved a lot. 
And I, and I think it's been one of those things that, you know, lots of teachers have had good intentions about doing things like that, but it's become a necessity. And particularly when you're trying to do some practical subjects and it's like you want to demonstrate and you want to show. And then, of course, we often know that once you're in a, in a meet, people's Wi-Fi drops out, you suddenly freeze. If you go to play a video, it doesn't necessarily work. So there's a lot of preloading of classes. Um, if that makes sense as well. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a really interesting case for the flipped classroom that hasn't really been made as, I guess, to the point of necessity that it has been before, where pre-preparing the content is now more possible than it was first postulated to. Yeah. It's very interesting. No one, no one that I've talked to about remote learning yet has brought up the idea of the flipped classroom. It could be because many of them are still in the mindset that they're delivering their classes. That's the first thing that happens. And then you can kind of work backwards from there. So you're recording your lesson as it takes place and then maybe uploading that to your LMS as a means for people, for students to catch up. Look, um, again, the school where I'm currently working took a lot of surveying of students' ideas and thoughts and opinions about what worked and didn't work in remote learning. And I sort of tapped into that a little bit. Um, in a pastoral sense, you know, there was a lot of students complaining about, you know, just being spoken to. And it was spoken at for a period of time yeah. when it was kind of like, you know, they wanted that initially, but then they wanted that again, as we sort of talked a little bit earlier before about the autonomy to being able to choose when and how they actually um, undertook a particular task. And, I, and, I, I, and I've sort of seen that in my own classes where it's like, yeah, okay, let's get on board and we'll, we'll set up what it is that's our focus. So, you know, if we use some of those, you know, buzzwords, what's our learning intention? What's our success criteria? What are we trying to do? And then allow them to, you know, in, in cases I often say, you know, disappear, do your work. And then I allow the meet to stay open where they can come back in when it's required so that we can workshop through various tasks. But then at the same time, it'd be almost, say, once a cycle, we work in a 10-day mm. cycle. So once a cycle, I would be scheduling to meet with those um, students on a one-on-one. So within a, a class period of time, it'd be like, oh, Matthew, you need to come back on the meet at you know 2.20 and we'll meet for 10 minutes. And this is when I want you to be able to present your screen. I want you to be able to show me what it is that you've been working on. And I think that's been really um, integral to keeping that connection. Otherwise, in some cases, remote learning has enabled students to perhaps disappear even further, not actually engage, not necessarily be doing the work. And, you know, as the lockdowns extend, it becomes, you suddenly realize, oh, hang on, six weeks and I actually haven't seen anything or been um, shared any work from this particular student, you know, and you, you start to learn about that after, you know, doing it numerous now and the lockdowns now. Now, it'd be really interesting to hear how you've specifically approached your media lessons, because as a subject, it's it's one that's conducive to collaborative effort in the same physical space a lot of the time. Is there anything else particular that you did with your subject area to make that more effective? I'll go back to last year. So last year, unfortunately, the year 12s who, who were just leading in and starting their main project, that's when the, the, the first sort of lockdown hit. And then, of course, we came back for a very short period of time. We went back into a really extended lockdown. That became quite difficult. Students hadn't done enough work in order to actually go out and do their, um, most of my cases in media, it's filming. So we, we had a lot of students who had to suddenly reorganize and rechange 
their direction of their product. We did get some information through from BCAA about that. And, you know, then there was a, a change to the course documentation and things like that. In 2021, we've been really grateful and, and lucky in the sense that um, the majority of year 12 students were already planned and they had actually undertaken most of their filming and their production. What we did have was also a number of students who were thinking ahead, um, thinking that, you know, the what ifs. So we had a number of students moving into animation, which is a lot of students ended up doing animation last year across the state with media due to lockdown conditions and, and situations. Sorry, just to quickly jump on that, in terms of animation application, are we talking flash or are we talking 3D animation like Blender? Yeah, this year we currently have a student doing Blender. Brilliant. Yes. That's what love to hear. <laughs> and we have a number of students using the app Procreate which is uh, an iPad um, application. So we have um, two students who are sort of doing 2D um, animation in Procreate, and we have another student who's doing rotoscoping. And so okay. she she had actually already done all the filming prior to um, the, the sort of lockdown in June. That enabled her sort of to be able to keep moving forward. With year 11s last year, Again, we were sort of stuck in, in in lockdown. What we ended up doing, and it's one of their tasks in Unit 1, where we usually get them to make an opening title sequence to a TV show, a fictitious TV show that they made up, we actually got them to use stock footage. So we went online and we looked for Creative Commons footage that was available. That was actually a really interesting task because it made them really consider and think about how can they actually establish the genre of a TV show through things like location shots and using music. And again, shots of, you know, objects and, and, and props as opposed to being character driven, which it often usually is. And, you know, again, you would often usually have like, you know, uh, them filming their friends in the park. So there was, there was a real shift in how they approached that particular unit of work. And it actually became quite successful. I repeated that process in 2021, enabling them to have um, the choice of actually using um, stock footage as well as their own footage that they had recorded. And did the school just get a license for a, a stock? It was it was just um, Creative Commons, so it was we just had to attribute at the end, and so no, we didn't actually purchase any um, uh, any clips. It was just yeah, what was available, what was free. Did you find that some students stumbled over what was actually Creative Commons? Was that a task you had to undertake so that they understood? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, we we do look at um, copyright. And we, we talked a lot about that. I mean, the issue sometimes too is, is that, you know, it's just done for the educational purposes and therefore, you know, they can sort of get away with, you know, utilizing sometimes, um, you know, copyright material, you know, it's mm. still a, it's still a possibility in year 12, but we, you know, we did workshop where they could find it, what they had to look for and what was the, um, attribution licensing, man. So they could actually start to understand that. And so that was sort of built into that project as well. Um, year tens, we, we started with them last year in 2020 in lockdown. So we actually had not had a face-to-face -face class. Wow. What we, what we started and what we did was ended up doing was a, um, silent film shot on mobile device, whatever they actually had access and, 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 and um, had on hand. So again, most of them just used a phone. Um, some of them did have some DSLR cameras, so we had that. 
they had to use parents and siblings as part of their cast. <laughs> we still managed to do storyboarding and scripting. The current year 10s, we had them for three lessons before the holidays. That was like our transition into semester two. We had two mm-hmm. weeks of holidays. We came back and then, of course, we had a PD day on the first day. We had a student teacher, um, Spencer, and Spencer came in and just observed. And what we did in those two lessons was uh, talk about the media production process. And then we talked a little bit about equipment. And then, of course, we went straight into lockdown. Right. So we ran a unit of work um, on short films. And Spencer was actually able to teach about short films remotely. I think that was for nearly about two weeks. And then we sort of came back for a couple of days and then we went straight back down into lockdown again. So we were able to establish what it was that they were going to do. Again, we'd had no hands-on experiences with any of the technology. Um, During the holidays, I actually did get them to uh, do some Adobe Premiere tutorials. So they had already had some experience doing some editing. So they were using... Again, stock footage through Adobe and, and they were just online tutorials. They had to download all the files and then they were able to put that together. So they had basic understanding of, you know, um, cutting up clips, putting them down in order, adding some music, some titles, and then a few sort of transitions. But we were able to get each student um, to film and then edit in lockdown. And so they each had, um, you know, it was roughly a, a minute to a two minute short film. And it was a very, very basic idea. And what we really drummed into them was the idea of the obstacle, like the point of conflict that occurred. And again, when we talk a little bit about that flipped classroom, Spencer actually made his own short film to showcase. And it was him basically carrying a, or filling up an ice tray with water and getting it into the freezer without spilling a drop. Okay. And that was his short film. Currently with the year 10s, because uh, again, we're, we're back in lockdown, mm-hmm. we've actually started to do a um, fictional podcast unit of work. So here I, I have uh, students working in groups of five. Um, so there's 20 students in the class and so it's four groups of five. So they had to come up with their overarching storyline for their podcast series. And then each individual student is taking on the responsibility for scripting. And so then they have to work with the person who's doing the next episode. So they leave it on a cliffhanger. Then they have to link it all up. And then uh, each, each student is also um, taking on the res- um, responsibility of doing the voice for one character. And not all characters have to appear in every episode. So at the moment, they've just done their individual episode scripting. And this week, they're going to actually do their voice recording. So what they're going to have to do is record using the scripts that have been shared around. They have to actually record all their lines for each episode and then share that with the person who's responsible for then putting the podcast together. That's phenomenal. Yeah. That'd be a masterclass in what I've tried to... I've been trying to pursue with podcasts over the last year, I think. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's a lot of great stuff for media. You did sidle into talking about your pre-service teacher though, which is what it would be great to get stuck into now. It sounds like he had a really great experience in terms of a practicum, despite being in a remote learning situation. Would you say that that's because you shared some of your insights to set him on the right track when- you first got started together? Yeah, you look, I, I would agree with that because, I mean, just talking generally about pre-service teachers and particularly when they come into media, a lot of them have limited 
skills, like practical skills. Often they've gone through and they've done, you know, a communications degree or the the focus of the you know, undergrad in media has often been about theory and analyzing, which is all there and and it's, and it's certainly, you know, a, a valued sort of skill that they have. But when you start to sort of move into secondary schools, particularly between year seven to 10, the course is media arts. That art is a really, really important sort of factor in the sense that it should be practical. Yeah. I've, I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years really trying to steer clear of having a theory unit so that it's, you know, that's standalone. What I've tried to actually do is incorporate the theory into each of my practical activities. So when we, when we look at media, we, we look at and think about what's called a development stage, pre-production, production, post-production, distribution. In the development stage is where we want to analyze existing texts. And so again, you know, Spencer was really, really quick to sort of take that on board. So when we were looking at doing the unit on short films, he was able to, you know, give them a list of, um, off the top of my head, it was about 10 short films. Using those 10 short films, you know, the students started to unpack it, looking at the codes and conventions within those short films, starting to think about how characters were constructed, starting to think about the narrative structure. So, you know, the three act, act one, act two, act three, and that starts to build in. And then they start to see that there's a relevance and, and that, you know, that this isn't just stand alone, that the theory is actually underpinning everything that you do in a practical sense. The... VCE course, when it started, to, when it sorry changed, I think 2018. Now there was a real emphasis on the development stage. So again, looking and thinking about existing products, but then also finding inspiration. One of the things that we looked at at Year 10, and we, we sort of dropped that down into the Year 11 course. We dropped that into Year 10, and also Year 9 is now also finding inspiration, and that it's really really important for you to be able to identify why. This piece is inspiring and it doesn't necessarily have to be the, from the same form that you're going to make. So if you're making a podcast, you can still be inspired by a, you know, a Quentin Tarantino film. And what you want to be able to do is bring that style or, or part of his, um, the way that he constructs text into your podcasts and being able to identify that and then starting to utilize some of that language. I think Spencer, you know, was, was really, really, uh, quick, as I said before, to engage with how I'd started to establish that routine in my classes. I also utilize a website. The, the website that I have for media in the school that I'm working at is available for year 9s, year 10s, 11s, and 12s. And then, of course, it's broken up then into common uh, elements or col- common, uh, common skills that they need to do. So the media production process doesn't change if they're in year 9, 10, 11, or 12, it's the same thing. So it's the same thing that we do each time. And that's, that's a really, really important. So, you know, as they've been working with you for a couple of years, you know, it becomes almost second nature, that process. It's not something that they have to rethink or or relearn every single year. So when Spencer dropped in, there was a pretty strong framework there for him to just kind of sidle into and catch the rhythm of so that he could then do his own thing. Yeah, there was. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy um, always to share that because I think, you know, in some cases, again, when you have pre-service teachers and depending on, on which university they're doing their um, course through as to how much support they're given, particularly in regards to 
the practical side of the subjects. Spencer uh, was not perhaps the most um, common sort of pre-service teacher in the sense that mid-30s, he'd already sort of had careers and and other sort of um, elements to his life. And he had a real interest in, in doing the practical. But, you know, as he sort of let me know straight quite quickly was that that's not where his strengths lie. Um, and that's what I found with a lot of pre-service teachers is that, you know, giving them an opportunity to actually do practical tasks, theory tasks, you know, they often run themselves and it is a little bit like a lot of other subjects, you know, where you have students sitting in desks and this is what you do and you do lots of stuff on the whiteboard and lots of different activities. Once you start working in a practical classroom, you know, again, I've got 20 year tens at the moment, when you start to introduce DSLR cameras to them, there's, there's, you know, multiple cameras and then there's tripods and then you add sound equipment. And then of course, at some stage you have to build up that level of trust to allow them to actually leave the classroom because, you know, filming in a classroom with 20 students is not ideal. And that's, and I think that's a real skill that pre-service teachers uh, need to learn very, very quickly, management of equipment, being able to organize and get them um, students out and, and then also being able to troubleshoot too very quickly Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter, you know, how many times you've used the equipment, there's a student who's going to ask you a question, which is going to stump you nearly every lesson. So I'm going to be a bit mean to you. Yep. I'm going to say that you've done a really good job of advertising yourself as the best supervisor (laughs) for any pre-service teacher that's looking to do media. And if there's any pre-service teachers listening that weren't doing media, it's entirely possible that they'll switch their subject just to get to do it with you, I think, because I want to go back and do it with you for sure. (laughs) Um, Very specifically about Spencer's experience though, so that we've got something that might put PST's minds at ease if they are going into a remote practicum. Did you find that releasing the lessons to Spencer for remote learning, even in your perhaps not so common style of remote delivery, did you find that was very easy that you didn't have to jump in or do anything specific, ignoring the technology aspect, obviously. I'm very happy for them to take the lead. And then there have been, you know, times again when I've had pre-service teachers and you can see that the lesson is not necessarily working well, but you've got to enable that to occur. And then, you know, there's always that that reflection of what worked and what didn't work. So again, you know, um, Spencer, for as good as he was, you know, timing within a lesson was not a forte. So, you know, again, he took on that um, notion of meeting students individually and he'd set up a whole schedule, but he actually missed his own schedule because he was, he just kind of went on a little bit of a tangent and then he suddenly realized that he'd actually, you know, was still talking and he was supposed to have already met with two students. Little things like that. The other thing too is often sometimes the language that's used when you're giving feedback to students. And that's a really, really difficult thing to uh, to be able to do when you're a pre-service teacher. You know, to be able to come in and establish a rapport with students very, very quickly is very, very hard. Yeah. 
But even over like a video conference where maybe you haven't seen them as many times, like you'd probably have to work that much harder to get the trust going, right? Yeah, abs- look, absolutely. You know, um, Spencer had been in the class observing in that first week prior to us going in lockdown, we'd had two lessons. And then all of a sudden he, yeah, it was kind of like, well, it's your turn now. He was good in the sense that, you know, he'd made himself known to the students by, you know, going around and engaging and asking them questions. So he was always very, very comfortable in regards to how he was going to connect with the students. In the past, again, you know, I've had student teachers who often when they're observing and you would say, hey, do you want to just go for a walk and, you know, have a chat to some of the students about their work? And they kind of shake their head. And it's like, oh, no, no, I can't do that yet. That's sometimes a concern. So being able to establish that rapport very, very quickly. But again, as I was sort of saying, you know, that idea of how to give feedback is sometimes difficult. Now, Spencer works with, you know, a lot of his friends who are quite creative. So they're quite critical of one another. Now, when he came to actually critiquing, say, you know, year 10 students, all of a sudden he had to rethink about the language that he was going to use. And, you know, it's a little bit like, and you'll appreciate this, Matthew, it's a little bit like video games. You know, you got to do praise, 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 and then you got to give them a little bit of a, a penalty and, you know, sort of say, hey, this is what I think you should be sort of working on. And so, you know, that, that was a bit of a struggle. And that's a little bit difficult sometimes when, you know, you've got students who are holding up books you know, and folios are trying to, you know, they're pointing at pictures that you can't really see. So the, the miscommunication sometimes was a bit of a, a factor. And I guess with the, the criticism as well, you might have to pull him back a bit and maybe not be as critical. It, it was about trying to pitch to an audience. So again, when he's giving feedback, he needed to think a little bit more about his audience. So setting the challenge maybe. Yeah. And then considering and thinking a little bit about what actually happens. Because as I said, you know, when he's working with say, you know, his own sort of peers or his own friends, they can be quite critical and there's no offense taken. But sometimes when you, you know, you say something to a 15-year-old student and they think that their work is fantastic and then you sort of, you know, your first thing is a criticism, that's not necessarily going to go down too well. So, as I said, what you sometimes got to do is praise, praise, praise. And by the way, what about if we did this? So, you got to kind of build them up. So, look, it was something that he was, again, very, very quick to learn. Sounds like there was a lot of common things he experienced that probably I'd say all pre-service teachers have gotten at some point. Timing, even when you're trying to regiment a calendar, is something we all we all get it at some point. It, whether we've been told in our lesson plans to have a column for timing, you start playing with that 45 minutes so that you've got, okay, 13 and a half minutes for this bit and then two and a half minutes while the kids transition their way over to the next bit. Yeah. Oh, crap, that took five minutes, the lesson's over kind oh. of thing. <laughs> Look, and, and it still happens. I mean, as you said, you know, nearly 20 years or 20 plus years of teaching and it still happens. You you get caught up in a situation or you get sidetracked by a particular student or a group of students and then you suddenly realise, you know, the bell's gone. And it's like, oh, hang on, I didn't even sort of wrap that up. You know, where was I supposed to go with it? I think, you know, when, when you start off teaching, it's, it's one of the things that you work out really, really quickly. Sometimes, you know, what do you have control of? You know, when you've got control of something, that sort of makes you a little bit more confident. So, you know, when we do talk about pre-service teachers, it's about knowing their content. 
being familiar with things, being organized, because, you know, if you are organized, then you, you've got sort of that control. But then the flip of that is then to be able to be flexible enough to be able to recognize when there's an interest or there's excitement and then you need to go on that sort of, you know, little bit of a journey with the students as well, because they want to engage with you. They don't just want you to be sort of regimental at the, you know, the front of the class saying, this is what has to happen every lesson. Now, one big thing from my own experience doing uh, the teacher training and my practicals and quite a lot based on my previous experience that I've talked to our, our listeners already about is like the, the, the lack of strength in technology. You, even yeah. with the younger generation coming in, those engaged with social media, they can still walk into a classroom with a projector. You know, they bring their laptop that they've had for the last five years, struggle to connect into the system. And, and like you said just then, their technical acumen in a subject that requires it isn't going to be as strong as you'd expect it to be. What would be the big thing that you'd usually say to a PST or the advice that you'd give to all pre-service teachers who might be listening, who might have a concern that they don't have enough about the technology yet to set their minds at ease when they jump into a practical like this? I think one of the biggest things is that you can't be expected to know everything. But my advice is always is that you share your inadequacies with your students. You acknowledge the fact that you're unsure of something. And then there's always like, well, hang on. I don't know that. By next lesson, I will hopefully know that and I'll be able to share that with you. Or can you also work on that as well? Because when you talk about, you know, very simple things, usually you can work that out in your own time, you know, like connecting of projectors and, you know, and, and laptops and, and little things like that. Even, you know, small things like, you know, an LMS and when you suddenly got to take the role and you've clicked the wrong button, then you go, oh, hang on, now I need to be able to do that. They're really hard to do when you're under the pump and you feel pressured. So what you've got to do is start to sort of think, okay, I don't need to do that right now. Yeah. I can sort that out when I don't necessarily have an audience in front of me. When it comes to software, it's trial and error, and that's all it comes down to. But the more that you can um, play around with the software, the more that you can allow the students to know that you're learning it too, the easier it becomes because they're, they're very forgiving because they know that you're just learning as well. So, you know, when, when uh, just uh, quickly on my journey, I mean, I started off analog editing. And then we, then we moved into, yeah. you know, some digital formats and I still can't even remember that, but eventually I moved into Final Cut Pro, which was like an Apple product. You know, I did a course yeah. over a weekend, but it was a lot of time just sort of sitting around playing around. And then of course, every time a student asks you a question, you have to rethink about, well, how do I explain that? And what does that actually, and then sometimes you've got to go and find out yourself. But then once you've kind of explained it, then that sort of sinks in. And then you remember it for next time, you know, and then we're sort of moving from doing Final Cut. Now we were working on the Adobe Creative Cloud. I also um, am, am not um, formally trained, but I'm also teaching BCD now. 
at the school that I work in. So I'm also teaching year 12 VCD. So in the last couple of years, I've taught myself, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator. Again, when we talk about podcasts and doing um, Adobe Audition, I'm also learning Adobe Animate to support and help those who are animating as well. So it is, it's always a constant. And I think, you know, when you, when you teach a subject like media, if you teach a subject like art, you know, VCD, um, studio arts, you're constantly learning because the curriculum doesn't stay. It's not static. You know, it's not the same way that you're going to teach every single year because your clientele, the students in front of you are very, very different. The products that they're going to make are always different. And so you're always sort of, you know, rethinking about how you would approach something. And then, you know, again, the godsend also is the internet. Thankfully, there's a lot of people who've already done the hard yards for us. You know, there's tutorials that are online and, and so that you can start to sort of, you know, work your way through, you know, what is it, JIDL, just-in-time learning. I love that acronym. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is something that, you know, we, we have to be aware of. So again, you know, pre-service teachers, if you, if you have to do a practical and you're unsure of how to actually go about it, find out those examples, find out those tutorials, flip the classroom. All right, because then you're enabling the students to actually have access to the same material as you, and then you work on it together. Uh, but if you go in and you pretend to know everything, and then all of a sudden you stuff it up, the students will remember that. They'll remember you stuffing it up if you went, oh, well, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. But if you pretend that you were, you were an expert and, and that you sort of muck it up, then, uh, yeah, you're going to have a very difficult um time actually getting them back on board it's funny i heard you click into supervisor mode there a little bit (laughs) (laughs) but that's really good this is this is what our pre-service teachers need to hear i think look and again i'm not going to criticize any particular university but you know it's surprising the number of pre-service teachers now that come and they actually don't necessarily do their methods as as a standalone subject you know there's just core classes and, and I remember too, you know, um, the late 19, no, 1999, sort of when I was doing sort of my grad, we did have a, a class specific to media um, and it was good. It was a good place where we were able to share lots of things. And then I also, I did a two-year postgrad degree and it was called a Bachelor of Teaching. In the second year, I actually did what's called an internship. I worked in a school for 10 weeks, a whole term. As a fully? No, just as a student teacher. I still needed to be supervised. It wasn't a provisional license or anything like that at this stage. I mean, I, I know there's lots of those, um, but that was the best thing that ever happened to me because what I was able to do was run lots of units of work. I also had a supervisor teacher who was really into technology and he pushed me practically and which is what I've always done a, um, subsequently whenever I've had a pre-service teacher is try to push them with the practical tasks. So when they come in, it's like, right, you're going to teach this practical sub, uh, this practical unit. I'll support you and I'll help you, but you've got to get up to speed. Because yeah. if you go into a school and all you do is do film analysis, the students are going to get really bored. That's it. And you're just ticking boxes at that stage yeah. if you have the opportunity to get your hands on some yeah. stuff. Yeah. And that opportunity to learn at the same time as the students you're trying to practice teaching, I think that's a really unique opportunity that not many people have. And I can commiserate fully with the digital technologies subject line. Oh, yeah. I can tell you from my experience, there was very little attention given to it for where I studied. I don't mind saying as well, I did it at ACU. And it's not to say that, you know, ACU was a terrible university for teaching. 
but it's just the digital technologies wasn't in high demand at the time. Yeah. So I think I was one of maybe four or six people doing the subject entirely online. Mm. There were no physical classes for it and there was no guidance. But lucky for me, I'd done quite a significant amount of work yeah. in yep. the technology space in schools already. So I was quite familiar with it. Yeah. Look, you, and when you've got your class, you, you find your experts within your class. I, I have an Adobe After Effects expert in my year 12 class. You know, she's my go-to. It's like, quick, what do I do? Well, what are we, what, how are we going to do this? Because she has been, it's a bit weird, but she's been editing in Adobe After Effects rather than Adobe Premiere. Starting in After Effects. Yes. She does all of her editing in After Effects. Wow. So, you know, she knows After Effects inside out, which is really, really good. In the VCD class, I've got a couple of Photoshop experts. I, I, I could take them on the Illustrator. I reckon I'm better at Illustrator. <laughs> but, but those, yeah, you, again, these students who know Photoshop really, really well, mm. you know, and then what you want to be able to do is acknowledge that and acknowledge that the skill that they currently have, allow the other students to, you know, ad identify them as being an expert within, within your environment, within your space. Mm. So it's like, you know, it's not always just me who's going to have the answers. You know, there are other students who are going to be able to support and help you with that as well. And we often try to build that in, again, particularly at, say, you know, your nine, year 10 levels where, you know, you would ask students to do some editing and then, you get them to go and sit in front of someone else's, you know, computer and look at what it is that they've done. And then they have to explain how they did something so that they become a teacher themselves. No, it, it's phenomenal what can happen when you leave it to the students. I'll yep. always remember in my technology support that the most successful student that I ever helped, funnily enough, this had something to do with Blender as well. This was a student who was looking to do virtual reality interactive environments for her year 11 task, I think. Yep. In terms of helping her get to her final VR experience, which was ultimately in um, Google Cardboard, yep. which means it was on phones, which was perfectly fine for what it was. It meant saying, all right, SketchUp is pretty good for doing some 3D modeling. Do your shapes in that and we'll see how you go. All right, I've done that. That's like three days later and I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Um, so now we need to 3D model this stuff in an environment that allows you to do keyframing and, and do camera angles. I think Blender's pretty good for that. Okay. She runs away and does yep. all this stuff herself and comes back like a couple of weeks later with a completed sequence that she's ready to export and start plugging into conversion platforms to get it onto ultimately on YouTube, convert it with that wraparound conversion tool to yep. make it a 3D interactive environment for Google Cardboard. And it worked fa fantastically well. I still don't know how she did it, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that kind of experience really informs it. And, and if you have the opportunity as a pre-service teacher to pursue that, it's a really enlightening experience. Well, I, th I think that's, again, that's one of the things too, often sometimes, you know, as teachers and even pre-service teachers, we try to control the learning too much. When we quickly go, you know, the idea of lockdown, I mean, that's been an interesting factor in lockdown, how some students have just been able to go to another level that they perhaps wouldn't have gone to if they were actually sitting in a classroom because they've taken a lot more responsibility for what it is that they're doing and, and going through and they're learning. And they've also been a little bit more freer in being creative instead of, again, looking at the person next to them or what their peers are doing. They've just run with their own project, mm. which has been a really, really interesting sort of time as well. Um, you know, the a current student who's using Blender is in year 11 
And, you know, I've often said to him, look, I'm no help. I, I, I don't know Blender. And, and Matthew, you'll appreciate this. You know, I had the disk image sitting on my computer ready to, you know, go to the help desk to install. And uh, all of a sudden we were in lockdown and the disk image yes. is still <laughs> sitting on my computer, you know, and, that, and that's fine, you know, and but this student, you know, is, is being you know, sharing her work and I've actually been asking her again, can you explain what it is that you've been doing and how you've been doing it? So she shares in a lot of cases, uh, screenshots, but then occasionally, you know, she'll present to her uh, screen and, and she'll actually give me a run through of what it is that she's been creating. And that's, that's really, really exciting when you, when you see a student who's doing and motivating their own learning. You know, that's a great thing. And, you know, you never want to sort of step in and say, oh, you can't do that because I don't understand what it is that you're doing. Yeah. You you need to stand beside them and you need to share in, in what it is that they're creating. And that's, that's, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, that's really what teaching is, isn't it? You know, the ability to stand next door to. Yeah. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, by the way. You're right. You're right. So in terms of the technology for pre-service teachers listening, don't feel like you have to know everything, but be open to learning anything. When you're doing your remote learning, setting schedules and easing into it with a good foundation, but don't be afraid to talk to your supervisor about how best to approach it, I guess. God, there's so many insights that you dropped just then. It's hard to keep track of them. Hopefully any PSTs have, who've been listening have been taking notes for their professional development or standard that uh, can inform their, um, their studies and their portfolio at the end. But I'm really hoping that any current teachers listening can get a bit inspired by how you approach the subject as well, because I'm sure everybody does it a little bit differently. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, if, if you're currently teaching um, media or any other subject in the school, you're going to gravitate usually to what your strengths are. And, th and that's not a bad thing. Um, and it's good for students to sort of realize that as well, that each teacher has a unique style of how they deliver content you it's an interesting thing too you know it, it almost becomes part of your reputation that precedes you students will come into a class where you've never taught them before but they know you're the teacher that has this or you're the teacher that does this and 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 that's not a bad thing for them to be able to recognize yeah and being flexible i mean you know gosh in in the current you know last year this year lockdowns if you're not flexible um you're gonna have a bad time <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and look, you know, and your students pick up on that stuff as well. You know, they really do. So if you've got that ability to be able to have the conversation with them, and again, you know, usually we start most weeks by saying, not sure what's going to happen this week. You know, not sure if we're returning face to face. Where are we heading? What are we going to do? How we would like to approach this together, you know, to so you establish that relationship really, really quickly. And students will come on you know, the journey with you, they'll, they'll be able to actually sort of, you know, keep moving and moving forward rather than against you. We always like to end a podcast episode with one of these. This is the pearl of wisdom. The one big piece of advice that you would give to any teacher, any pre-service teacher, can even be a parent or someone in the community that you would give about teaching from your experience being a teacher so far. Oh, gosh, man. You've, um, got the, uh, you've got the big beard there. I know there's some <laughs> wisdom trapped in there somewhere. <laughs> I, look, I think teaching teaching is extraordinarily hard. It, it, it is becoming harder. It's very enjoyable, though. It's very rewarding. And when you have students who succeed, that's what makes it the best thing in the world to do. You know, 
people often say, you know, um, or firstly, how long have you been teaching? Why do you teach? And it's like, at this stage, there is nothing else that meets the same level, you know, in what you're able to do. You can have a, a an amazing impact on someone's life. And it's kind of cliche as it sounds, you know, you'll often sometimes bump into a student many, many years down the path. And then they'll say, I remember when, or I'm doing this course because, you know, you told me and, and I liked what it was that you were saying. So, you know, again, we, I have lots of ex-students from the current school that I've been working in who, you know, moved into media fields uh, and that's amazing. So at the end of the year, I don't sort of look at what their ATAR schools and look at where they've chosen to go and what it is that they've chosen to study. And it's, it's really, really nice when they suddenly sort of, you know, say, oh, this is what I'm going to do because I enjoyed what it was that I was doing with you. Getting out of the experience, not just a number, yep. but where the students go and the impact you have on their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes a little while to reap that investment, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, of course. It's it's certainly not straight away, you know, that the building of a relationship is really, really important, you know, and, and there, there has to be a lot of trust that the, the student places in you, but also trust that, you know, that you also then give to the student and being able to have, um, you know, we often talk in my classes about the C word, the C word is conversation, being able to have a conversation. <laughs> so, you know, you can't write yeah. about it until you can talk about it. So talk about it first. And mm -hmm. so being able to, you know, make a mistake while you're having a conversation and, you know, once you start to have conversation, then there's a relationship that's built. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for joining me for this uh, podcast episode, Scott. I really appreciate it. And Again, I'm sure there's a bunch of pre-service teachers switching their subjects as we speak, just so they get the chance to do, <laughs> do a media placement with you, maybe. No worries. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks, Scott. That was Scott talking all things media, remote learning, and uh, a lot of technology tips and, in fact, applications that he talked about in there that might be useful for you too. Now, stick around. In the next episode, we're going to be talking to Prav, who is a teacher in Queensland who has a few tips for us to manage our well-being, especially for you pre-service teachers looking to enter their first year of teaching. And without sounding clickbaity, we talk about that one big trick that he has to help pre-service teachers get on top of their practice. The five Fs as a little teaser. But join us next time for the Teaching Culture Cast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>